Uh, it is fall break. You can just look around and see that. A lot of folks are gone, um, but I'm glad you're here. You're going to be glad you're here as we kind of look into and continue our study. Open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2. Uh, I received quite a bit of feedback, comments, and, and, and emails as well. Uh, not because it was a great sermon necessarily, but because I think this lesson is, is hitting a nerve. It's, it's very relevant. Um, it's timely. We're asking how can we live a better life in Babylon? If you were not here last week, I want to encourage you to uh, go to our website and listen online or order a CD so that you can kind of start with chapter 1 and, and follow along with us. Because we're asking questions like, how do we hold our convictions and yet uh, not pull away or push back or give in to the culture? How can we be faithful to God and not be obnoxious and difficult and hard to be around? Is there a better way to live in Babylon because we're living in a culture that's not just um, apathetic toward the ways of God. What we're noticing is more and more hostile toward the ways of God. But I need to say this also. Technically, we're not aliens. We're citizens of this great country. So we have a privilege to vote and to be a part of the democratic, uh, democratic process. We have amazing rights, like the right to assemble, like we're doing today, and, and the right to free speech. So don't misunderstand, this study is not an attempt to, to fuel passivity that we all withdraw from anything civic. And as we also know, this world is not our home. Paul wrote in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. Last week we looked at Philippians chapter 1 verses 2 through 11, and, I mean 11 through 12. And I'm going to look at that again because he mentioned there, Peter called his listeners foreigners and exiles. Look at the screen. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. Foreigners, exiles. That's the NIV. The New American Standard Version uses the term aliens or strangers. Now granted, some of those listeners that Peter was writing to, reading that letter, would have been from another country. But some of them were Greeks living in Greek cities and Romans living in Roman cities. People who were living in a town that their family had been there for generations. But he called them foreigners and exiles. So in that sense, all followers of Christ are also foreigners or exiles, metaphorically. But don't think that being an exile or a foreigner is an excuse to withdraw. In fact, the term used here in this text literally means resident aliens. Like permanent aliens. Like you're not going anywhere. Like this is your new country. So settle down. Plant your roots. And, and wish well for the new country. In fact, I want you to consider God's directive to the people going into exile. In Jeremiah 29, you're familiar with this chapter because a couple of verses later it talks about, I know the plans I have for you. You remember that passage? Well, this is preceding that. To the people going into exile, in fact, he tells them the very opposite of withdrawing. Look in verse 4 and following. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses. And settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there and do not decrease. 
Also, look at verse 7. Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. If you get the monthly messenger that's mailed to each home, you notice that there is a theme this month, a prayer theme, and it's mentioned government. And it just goes right in line with this pray for that country. Pray for your city. Pray for your state. Pray for your country. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So there's this ongoing tension that we find ourselves as followers of Jesus. How to be in the world but not of the world. How do we strike this balance? Have a rich, engaging conversations among each other. In fact, I'm hoping in our Bible studies tonight, we'll continue that. We're calling this a search for a better way, life hacks. And we talked about this last week as an introduction. Life hack is just sort of a, a secret, kind of a, uh, you learned a shortcut. And you know, if you've ever learned a shortcut, you're happy to share that with somebody else. Hey, let me show you a, a good way to do that. I, I put a couple of more on the screen so you can see. Look at this next one. If you've traveled before, you know how fantastic it can be to mark your luggage. Because it's like three out of four suitcases are black. And if you put some kind of marker, ribbon, something, board in a group setting, it's an amazing life hack. Here's another one. Number two, look at this one. If you ever moved your kid into the dorm room or across any kind of move, you're hanging clothes, put them in a garbage bag, fantastic. Clothes don't get dirty, you can thank me. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Here's another one, ladies. You may have already tried this. If you've got wrapping paper and want to keep it staying together, get a piece of toilet paper roll and cut it in half. Bingo, you've got it. Or look at this next one. If your headlights kind of getting old, getting hazy, did you know toothpaste will clean that? I encourage you to get a different toothbrush, you know. Uh, I haven't tried the toothpaste. I have tried bug spray. Bug spray will do it. Of course, you can buy this stuff too. But anyway, amazing life hacks. I want to throw another one your way. don't have a picture for this one, but, you know, insomnia is a real issue with some people. I mean, there's all kinds of medicine. There's kind of tricks that help people fall asleep. Let me give you a life hack. If you have trouble falling asleep, here's what you do. You get on the church's website. You download one of the sermons. Or order a CD, just hit play, gone. Guaranteed. No amount of money, power, or position can guarantee a good night's rest. And that's exactly where we see King Nebuchadnezzar as chapter 2 opens. Remember in our study of Daniel, that Daniel and his friends were in the first of three waves of exile into Babylon. Last week we talked about some of these details, like they were made eunuchs. And they were, they were trained and taught and they were educated to serve as wise men to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. So I want us to open our Bibles to Daniel chapter 2. In fact, read verse 1. The very first point is found in verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar is troubled. Look what it says there. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled. He could not sleep. Now it's also good for us to understand in their culture, divine wisdom came through dreams. They believed that you would receive divine wisdom from your God through your dreams. So to have a dream and not know what it meant would be extremely troublesome, especially for someone like a king. Now, what you can notice here right off the bat is that God is speaking to Nebuchadnezzar in his language. That's how Nebuchadnezzar expected to hear from his God. So he's getting this dream from the real God, but he doesn't even know who it's from. 
the occult. Notice what happens next. It says there, Nebuchadnezzar uh, summoned his magicians, his enchanters, to, to sorcerers to explain it, but they could not. There's a wrong source, and, and we know that. But notice here, he's not pleased, decides to put them all to death. Look at verse 12 and 13. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and the men were sent to, to, to look for Daniel and his friends and put them to death. So just kind of back up and you see what all is happening here. He has the dream. He calls in his, his astrologers, his, uh, uh, the occult, if you will, and says, help me know what this means. Tell me my dream and interpret my dream. Well, they want him to tell him the dream. He's not going to tell them. And so he gets angry at them, makes this decree to put them all to death. And so once again, Daniel is called in the consequence of other failings. May the king so angry and furious order the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. But again, notice Daniel responds with calm and tact. Daniel shows respect even though his life is on the line. He asked for the king for more time. And notice what the text says there. He and his friends gather and pray. There's a takeaway right there. When you're in a time of intense issue, you've got stress, you get with your friends, and you get on your knees. Now that's not a serendipity of our home Bible study groups. That's a part of the design. You get with people who believe like you, you share issues, you share life, and you pray together. Look at Daniel chapter 2, verse 19 through 21. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision that Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are His. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. You have given me wisdom and power. You've made known to me what we ask of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. I want you to notice here, just going through the chapter, that Daniel, having learned the interpretation of the dream, doesn't rush off to the king to save his own neck. He stops right then and acknowledges God and thanks God for it, even before he knows how the story is going to end. And he's going to share with the king the, the interpretation. He doesn't know how the king's going to take that. He doesn't know if that decree to kill all the wise men is going to be carried out. But what we see here is, well, I want you to see your point number two. Daniel is humble. He doesn't wait till the end of the story. Right in the middle, he thanks God, and he's humble about it. What Daniel can teach us about living in Babylon is that we can control our fear when we know and truly believe that God is in control. I think one reason why Daniel never points to himself is because he's so humble. Even in this situation, rather than exalting himself and the other wise men, Daniel tries to save their lives. This is his first order of business after thanking God. Look at verse 24. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. So once again, Daniel, holding on to his faith, he's not holding in contempt the people that are surrounded him here. Daniel served God in Babylon. Like we said last week, and Daniel served Babylon for God. He did not act like he was above everybody else or anybody else. Even his fellow wise men, 
He's looking out for their necks as well. He sees that any insight he has, any blessing that God has given him, is simply a kindness from God himself. Look at verse 26. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery that he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. But there is a God in heaven. But there is a God in heaven. That changes everything. There's a better way to live in Babylon. Not by focusing on everything that's going wrong, by how how much sin there is, how much corruption there is, though it's great, and we know that, but by trusting in the great power of God. And what we see here is a very humble Daniel did just that by giving King Nebuchadnezzar this message. That the message in and of itself was a humbling message. And to show that he's legitimate, he tells the king the dream. Look at verse 31 and following. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of bronze, his legs of iron, his feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. Notice here that Daniel is telling Nebuchadnezzar, giving an insight about future empires. An amazing dream, an amazing interpretation. Now, I put this on the screen because artists have, artists have tried to render what the statue might have looked like, that each metal would represent a coming kingdom. The gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, and of course the clay. There would be the Babylonians and the Persians and the Greeks, perhaps the Romans. Now, some disagree about which nation or which empire exactly, but no matter how you interpret the dream, the message is the same. The future belongs to God. And His kingdom is supreme. So that brings us to number three. Understand that God is honored. God is honored. World leaders tend to obsess on their place in history. How are they going to be remembered? How can they leave their mark? How can they rule their country or rule the world? So consider the boldness of Daniel's interpretation. He's basically telling King Nebuchadnezzar, you are where you are because my God is allowing it. That would not be an easy message to deliver. And that would not be an easy message for Nebuchadnezzar to listen to. Look in verse 44. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and the interpretation is trustworthy. So Daniel is announcing to King Nebuchadnezzar about the coming kingdom of God. 
What we have here in the book of Daniel is a prophecy of Jesus' birth. Now remember, when the angel appeared to Mary about her giving birth to Jesus, look at Luke 1, verse 31. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. See, understanding this, I think, gives us greater appreciation to Daniel's humility to go before the king and share this message. That Daniel, even receiving the interpretation, would, would first things first, stop and thank God for the interpretation, even before knowing how the story is going to pan out. Remember, this is the same king who just overreacted and said, off with everybody's head, or at least all the wise men's head. But Daniel is full of faith and full of humility, and it's guiding every step. Daniel is humble, but he's also courageous enough to tell Nebuchadnezzar the truth. I want you to see that humility and courage together can be awesome. His interpretation challenged Neb's view of his own importance. But honoring God and remaining true to Him was more important to Daniel. So while living in Babylon, we need to learn to be courageous without being obnoxious, to keep a spirit of humility and realize that in this case, courageous honesty actually was a blessing to Nebuchadnezzar and the kingdom at hand. Look at verse 46 and following. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Now you read that and you think, Oh wow, he's, he's become a believer in God. Well, don't jump too quickly there. But also don't doubt that God's going to give up on Nebuchadnezzar. But that's a study for another time. I want us to share for the rest of our time a couple of applications. So if you're filling the blank, the first one is this. Real faith is not developed in a vacuum. Real faith is not developed in a vacuum. Life in exile demands trusts. And faith comes about when our faith is, is uh, tried in exile. So Babylon may at times feel like we're far from God. But it may be in Babylon when we are most able to draw close to God. But so many of us want the end of the story without going through the middle. We want to know that everything turns out alright. We want the easy ending and not realizing, wait a minute, we're still in the middle of things. Because we've become a culture of easy. We want it now. We want it quick. We want it simple. And we don't want to wait for it. Let me show you what I mean. Greg Creed is the CEO of Yum. Now, Yum is the parent company that owns Kentucky Fried Chicken and, and uh, Taco Bell and Pizza Hut. In a recent interview about their, their company, he talked about their new strategy for addressing the sagging sales for Pizza Hut. Now, this was about a year ago, last fall. Sales were down, and so what he did, he put his management team into a room. He said, don't come out until you've got a plan. After nine hours, they surfaced, and their new marketing initiative was simply this, easy beats better. Easy beats better. And he explained it in the interview. There was a time when a better product 
was superior. And people were wondering what was better. And that's where their money would go. That's how they would uh, do, take their business. He said, but that day has come to an end. In our day, in our times, convenience trumps quality. Now that may be true for fast food. But it's not true when it comes to obedience to God. Obedience must trump convenience for faith to last in Babylon. And we need to remember, Babylon is not going to last. And that brings me to takeaway number two. The future is not for kings to decide. The future is not for kings to decide. I hesitate to say this, but you know it already. Election is just a few weeks away. And it's easy to get caught up in the emotions of the day and think the future is uncertain. And we don't know what's going to happen if this one wins or if this one wins. And there's all kind of just fear-mongering going on. But if you listen to the Word of God, what you hear is the clear message that God is in control. And the future is certain. So we don't need to get all worked up about it. Do you remember the context where the Bible talks about God laughing? It's in Psalm chapter 2, uh, verses 2 through 4. The kings of the earth rise up, and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. So God's laughing at these kings who think they are in control, these powers who think they have the power. And God just laughs at it. Remember Daniel's prayer in verse 21 of Daniel 2? He deposes kings and raises up others. Did we learn this in history class? An empire, a kingdom will rise and the kingdom will fall. Another kingdom will rise and the kingdom will fall. That's the history of mankind. That's what human empires do. Some of you are old enough to remember the name Charles Colson. He was a member of the Nixon White House. He was indicted for his part of the Watergate crimes. Went to prison for it. It was when he was in prison that he turned his life around and started following Christ. In his book, Life Sentence, Charles Colson tells about a time where he was among the ruins in Rome. Let me share one quote from the book. He said, As I stood snapping photographs, my mind flashed back to the Roosevelt Room in the White House, a few steps across the narrow hallway from the President's Oval Office at 8 o'clock each morning. A dozen of us, the President's senior aides, had gathered around the antique mahogany table. Its polished surface reflected the serious, intense expression of men who believed the destiny of mankind was in their hands. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger would often say, the decisions we must make today will affect the whole future of the course of human history. We believed it. Just as the Roman senators dressed in their flowing togas believed it nearly 2,000 years ago, yet here we sat in their once majestic forum, now dusty piles of stone and rubble. Would even that much be left of the Roosevelt Room, I wondered, in two centuries, much less two millennia from now? The future is not for kings to decide. I don't know who wrote this, but listen to this poem. The kingdoms of the world go by in purple and in gold. They rise, they triumph, and they die. And all their tale is old. One kingdom only is divine. One banner triumphs still. Its king is a servant and its sign is a cross upon the hill. If you are so worried about the future, if you're just consumed with that, perhaps you're putting too much hope 
in a statue. Wasn't that the message of this dream? Well, here's another life hack to remember. Number three, our foundation is not shaken if it's built on the rock. Our foundation is not shaken if it's built on the rock. See, think about this dream from a worldly perspective. If you're looking at this dream, wouldn't you consider a rock less valuable than gold or silver or really any of the metals? From a worldly perspective, it's just a rock. But from a heavenly perspective, this rock must be valuable because it alone is durable. The rock of ages, as the passage tells us, is not held by human hands. It doesn't depend on human strength. It doesn't depend on human minds to endure. It doesn't depend on the economy. It doesn't depend on the military. It doesn't depend on people at all. I love my country. Now make sure you know that. I feel privileged and honored to be a citizen of this country. I'm never more aware of that than when I'm in another country. And some of you have traveled. You know what I mean by that. I appreciate those who've made this country what it is. But I think we also need to be careful about over-spiritualizing our patriotism. As one author wisely warned, that we not wrap the flag around the cross. We need to keep them in perspective. God doesn't need America to accomplish His purposes. Now, He may use America to accomplish His purposes. But the rock doesn't need the statue. The rock of ages does not need human hands. That's the message of this dream. To thrive in Babylon means we don't believe in a statue. We have courage and calm like Daniel when we hope in the rock and not the statue, when we put our hope in the kingdom of God above all else. Remember, Jesus said early in His ministry to seek first His kingdom. At the time, people didn't understand what He meant by that. But He's using the same language that's been throughout the Bible to seek first His kingdom. Sometimes we do well at that, and sometimes we're just like the world. To share this story, John Cassis is a motivational speaker. He told recently about a time years ago, back in the 80s, when the Chicago Bears were having some really good years. He was one of their chaplains. The way he was explaining it, Mike Ditka was their coach. They were about to go in for this time, the locker room, and he was going to give a little speech. And so Ditka, the coach, looked over at Fridge, Perry, big lineman, they called the Fridge, and said, hey, when I get through speaking, would you lead us in the Lord's Prayer? Man, the quarterback saw all this happening and saw the fridge just freeze. He thought, he doesn't know the Lord's Prayer. And so he reached over to Cassie and goes, I don't think the fridge knows the Lord's Prayer. He said, oh, everybody knows the Lord's Prayer. The man said, I got $50 saying he doesn't know the Lord's Prayer. And Cassius telling the story, he said, you know, think about the absurdity. Here we are in chapel time, fixing to pray, and we're betting on the Lord's Prayer. Well, Dick had finished his remarks, looked over at the fridge and kind of nodded. Everybody bowed their head. The fridge spoke in a very shaky voice. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Cassius felt a tap on the shoulder. It was McMahon. Here's the $50. I didn't know he knew the Lord's Prayer. (laughs) We don't expect Babylonians to know the Lord's Prayer. 
to be able to recite the Lord's Prayer, even to understand the Lord's Prayer. But as His followers, should we? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Is that our prayer? Is that our focus? Do we live like our hope is in Your kingdom come? Our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers need to see Your courage. They need to see Your joy. They need to see Your consistent life. We talked about this last week. Don't underestimate the value of a life well lived. If the way of Jesus is superior, then show that to the people around you. Don't lose your joy. And don't lose your courage. Even if it seems like the world's coming apart. One last verse. Look at the promise of Hebrews 12.28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. The kingdom of God isn't going anywhere. It cannot be shaken. And when you are seeking first His kingdom, neither will you. You will not be shaken. Let's pray. God in heaven, the God of gods, the King of kings, a name that was true then, a name that's true now, and will always be. Father, we pray for wisdom and discernment, for courage, for humility. As we are called to be exiled and foreigners, there are days where it feels like our country is being taken away from us and we don't know what the future holds and it's easy to get concerned and even be afraid. But Father, help our faith to not be in a statue. Help our faith to be in a kingdom that cannot be shaken because Your Son is that King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, may our lives reflect that truth. It's through Christ we pray. And amen. This morning, if we can pray for you for anything, a spiritual need, a physical need, we want to do just that. Or if today you're ready to name the name of Jesus, to confess that you believe He died for you, that He is the Son of God, have your sins washed away in baptism. We always have the water ready. Won't you come as we stand and sing to encourage you?